I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program reality. Welcome, everyone, to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Johnny Android, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in the metaverse. Record our episodes live in Ultimate every week. You can join us for free, even if you don't have a VR headset. This is true. Just log into Allspace from your laptop or PC, join our event, and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. Today, we are going back to 2009 to cover the original Avatar film in preparation for the release of Avatar 2 The Way of Water. At the time of its release, Avatar was the top grossing film of all time. Since this had a bit of a backlash among some audience members who uh, begrudgingly uh, don't like the blue people. So uh, we will dive in and find out if the film holds up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Futurosity Flicks and Picks number 15, Futurosity himself. There he is. Hey, thank you so much, Johnny. This is going to be a fun one. Number 15. And hey, I just can't wait to dig into this movie, especially with the upcoming sequel coming out in just a week. Absolutely. And uh, I, you know, I think as we go into overall thoughts, we should sort of talk about like, what were your overall thoughts, if you remember them back in 2009, when you saw it? And then what were your thoughts watching it again today? It's been a while for me, I think you said it was probably 10 years for you. It's probably been about five years for me since I've seen it. So it was interesting to to go over it again. Um, Why don't you uh, tell us what you thought uh, back then? And uh, if it held up today, and uh, just general overall thoughts? Well, just in general, when it first came out, of course, I'm a huge Cameron fanboy. I've always been, you know, Terminator 2 is up there on my top list of movies, including Aliens as well. So I remember seeing it, I got into the hype. I saw it three times in 3D at the theater when it first came out. I brought family, friends, you know, I tried to see it as many times as possible. But then it just kind of disappeared. I just didn't think about the movie. Um, and then they had a re-release. I remember they had a couple of maybe like nine extra minutes added on. So I checked out that version. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Once again, Avatar kind of faded from memory. It's not one of those movies I wanted to revisit as often. I mean, I think I've actually watched Titanic more than I've actually watched Avatar. And I'm not the biggest Titanic fan. So that's the funniest part is you know, I enjoy Cameron's work. I appreciate what he does. But um, that large gap of time, I just rewatched the film and it all came together again. I mean, it's a very simple story. It's mostly about the visual splendor and creating this world and getting people involved and actively involved, you know, with this imaginary world that he created. So I kind of understand why, you know, people complain about story issues because it's a very, very simple, basic story. You know, it's a classic savior from the outside comes in and takes over kind of movie. but you have to give credit just for the amount of effort they put into the visual effects, which I still think hold up very nicely after all these years. Nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's really, so I'm a, I'm a fanboy as well, James Cameron. So we have one, at least one Canadian in the audience, Candace, who not many people know James Cameron is Canadian. And not only that, he is from my hometown near Niagara Falls, which literally nobody knows about. Because he started his career down in L.A. and he's sort of I mean, he's a dual citizen now. And so he, does it, he never really was a filmmaker in Canada before he moved to uh, Los Angeles. And so in any case, uh, oh, for, for those people who, who doubt him with uh, Avatar 2, I say, show me a bad movie in his entire career that he's done. And you can. I would say my least favorite is probably True Lies. And that's a pretty solid action uh, action adventure movies. So you can't even say that that's too horrible, right? 
Um, and actually, speaking of which, Candace is from France, and actually True Lies was based on a French film. Uh, I don't know if she knew that. We'll have to find out later on. Oh, um, very cool. But, yeah, but um, okay. So the, the, I remember back in 2009, it was the first time that they had shot a movie in 3D with these 3D digital cameras, and it was this new technology. He was really the one who launched the 3D sort of uh, revolution in the newest sense. So obviously, there was 3D in the 70s, but this was a digital 3D. And I remember thinking, how is this, you know, is it going to be just like this cheesy stuff where things are flying at you? And when the film began and we see uh, the Sam Worthington character come out of cryo freeze and there's little bubbles that are floating in front of his eyes and those bubbles show you depth in the screen. So it didn't pop out at you. It created depth. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a whole different kind of 3Ds, a whole different experience. And Throughout the movie, I just remember thinking of these key moments like when he runs for the first time and he's looking down at his feet and you're seeing that in 3D. And this is a character who'd been handicapped and suddenly he can run. And that was like, wow, this is so impactful. And then I remember when he uh, was uh, attacked by those dinosaur creatures and jumped off this cliff uh, to, to protect himself. You're diving down with him in this in 3D immersive environment. And it was it really uh, uh, stuck with me in terms of the visual and technical uh, things that they brought to the movie that hadn't been done before. So that's what I remember most about seeing it the first time. Um, so I have to admit, I'm not one of the haters that are out there who who don't like uh, these big green people and think it's cheesy and all that. The way that I look at most James Cameron movies, but in particular Avatar. That yes, it's like you're saying, it's an archetypal story. I don't. I wouldn't say simplistic. I would say archetypal, which means that it's not going to. It's not breaking any boundaries. It's not doing anything different. It's doing tried and true storytelling that has existed for hundreds, if not thousands, of years uh, through myths, through Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, all of that kind of stuff. He matches that with this state-of-the-art, cutting-edge technology that makes it fresh and new again. So for me, I don't mind having a story. It, it draws on sort of ancient ideas or mythological ideas. Uh, as long as you're giving it to me in a new way and it's fresh again, then for me, it's a reinvention of that. So actually uh, watching it again, sort of struck by how, uh, how just drawn into the story I constantly was and how emotional it, it is. It's such, a, such an emotionally uh, visceral film um everything like thing from the guy who can't walk to then running and then uh him sort of coming emotionally connected to uh Nadiri and one of the navi and then like my god we're gonna get into it but when the, when the when they get uh when he lives at home tree and then the bad guys the humans are coming to home tree i'm like like i really feel it like if you know if James Cameron does nothing else, he makes me really care and feel for his characters. And I'm like very emotionally invested in this film. And to this day, I'm still emotionally invested. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm loving watching this one again, and I'm glad we're going to be talking about it. 
Now, I'm so glad you brought up just the, the emotional connection with the characters. I felt the same way. I mean, sometimes Cameron can be somewhat sterile when it comes to human interactions, but it's amazing how these Navi creatures, these non-humans, were able to bond and connect with them emotionally through his filmmaking style in a deeper way than I've ever seen him handle human characters. I, I even think of Titanic, how it kind of became this disaster film, and it became, you know, what they called you know, disaster pornography. You're watching the carnage and enjoying all this mayhem but in this case you feel the mayhem you actually the motion capture and the performance capture of the faces really makes you connect to these characters in a way that i wasn't expecting i mean it's been a decade and suddenly i'm getting teary-eyed and you know this imaginary 3d trees get knocked down i know nothing on the screen is real but it felt just as visceral and I felt connected to their emotions and you have to give them credit for that i mean very few filmmakers can pull off so many motion capture performances that have that emotional depth. I don't know if any other director has done that before. Absolutely. Yeah, I would go twofold with that. Number one, I guess he apparently he uh, felt confident that he was that motion capture technology was ready for him to be able to make this movie in an emotional way when he saw Gollum in Lord of the Rings. So that was that's a, an example where he, there there was such uh, dynamism in the characters' features and uh, of Gollum and. Uh, in Lord of the Rings, that um, he was able to do that. But think of Gamble. He's he's making at the time the most expensive movie ever, two hundred and eighty million dollars. That's not adjusted for inflation, and he was gambling it all on us emotionally connecting to these motion capture digital characters, which is uh, just which is really uh, amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, the other thing that is incredible about James Cameron that I don't think I think there's probably a handful of directors in the world who can pull off what he does is that he is in a mind-bogglingly large production with mind-boggling technical challenges. And in and I fact that he doesn't get distracted into that and lose the emotional uh anchoring of the story and the characters is really a testament to him. And I think you're right. Like maybe Peter Jackson, maybe Steven Spielberg, you know, um, who else? I don't know. Maybe Robert Zemeckis back in the day, but he's he's not doing so well anymore. You know, it's so easy to just go into Michael Bay territory where it's just like, we'll just throw all this technical wonder at the screen and hope it all sticks. Uh, but there's no emotional connection to the characters. James Cameron doesn't do that. He really uh, takes time to get us invested. So uh, you, I think you're right. He's one of the only filmmakers who can do that. Um, oh, so right. Well, let's. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive into uh, the plot. And uh, of course, uh, if uh, Dave the Turner or Candace or uh, or Maplefish or even Hero back there, if anyone has any uh, comments or uh, thoughts as we go through, we would definitely want to hear what you guys think of Avatar. Uh, so that we're just just not just talking heads up here. We don't we want we want to hear what you guys have to say as well. Um, all right. So uh, as is customary, uh, Futurosity gives us a little bit of a rundown of the plot. So um, how, how about you go for it? All right. Well, we start off in the year 2154. Uh, essentially, the Earth has been strip mined of all its resources. Uh, essentially, man has to go out in the space in order to get, essentially, a product called unobtainium. Essentially, there's this planet you know, called Pandora, which host large deposits of this material. They don't really explain the purpose of the material, but most likely it's, you know, fuel for you know flying intergalactic quest and etc but it's one of the most valuable items on the planet i think they said like you know a, a kilogram of it is worth 20 million dollars so just imagine you know a mountain-sized core of this ore 
Well, unfortunately, the local people, the Navi, um, they're essentially these 10 foot tall, blue cat like humanoid creatures. They live at the heart. So what we're seeing is essentially an occupation of this entire planet by human beings who are essentially, you know, old school colonial strip mining of resources. They're getting the resources away from these native people and they're constantly at war with them. And unfortunately, the Navi are outgunned. So within this world, they decided, hey, the best way to connect and try to negotiate with these Navi people is to create these human hybrids that they call avatars in which our characters can control using their minds. Well, that's where we meet Jake Sully. He's a paraplegic, former Marine, and they recruit him because unfortunately his twin brother died. And they actually already made a body in avatar form for his brother. So luckily, you know, the corporation is up saving millions upon millions of dollars on this process by allowing Jake Sully to take over. Fortunately, Jake's more of a jarhead. You know, he's a military guy. His brother was a scientist. So he ends up becoming essentially a bodyguard of sorts for the scientists who also inhabit these avatar bodies to connect and interact with the locals. Of course, as all stories like this go, our hero enters into this new civilization, sees the error in his ways, and decides to join forces. But the great thing is, even though they follow all the classic tropes of the outsider becoming king, we still have this, once again, visual splendor, deep character interactions, truly rich emotional moments that overall allow us to side with the Navi and hope that they can win over, you know, essentially overwhelming force from outside invaders. It's kind of essentially the bit of the movie. But I think the biggest part is how everyone is connected. There's a huge environmental message to this entire movie. Essentially, the planet itself communicating and connecting with everybody. And unfortunately, the rich corporation and the jarheads that they charge and pay for, I mean, essentially have a private military corporation helping them. They don't really see the value in that. They don't see not only the spiritual value, but also uh, the potential technological value. Their focus is only on stripping the resources instead of tapping into potential scientific breakthroughs that this planet can offer. So overall, we get to see Jake Sully Kind of go native. He becomes one with the people. And of course, eventually he becomes one of them. So we'll get into more details about all those steps. But it's a beautiful, classic story. Just as he said, it's the archetypes of storytelling we've dealt with many times before. But because of the emotional, impactful nature of the storyline, the visuals, there's more to it than simply, oh, it's a savior plot. Oh, it's Dances at Wolves. It's Fern Gully. It, there is something much deeper and richer than what the memes have kind of built over the years. And I think that's what happened to me. I haven't watched the film in almost a decade. And I think it wasn't my memories of the films I had. I had memories of the memes about the film, you know, from all these negative people. Realize, oh, you know what? I actually like this. Oh my goodness, I'm getting teary-eyed. Uh, so there's very much more to it than, hey, big blue people, oh no. Definitely it's much richer and deeper. Uh, it's true, but I, you know, to your point, I think apparently uh, James Cameron came up with this idea after watching Pocahontas, so it does directly connect back to that Dances with Wolves, Pocahontas kind of uh, mythology of the character. Um, so there, you know, you, you can't avoid that. But I, I love the character arc that he goes under. It's such a, it's such a strong arc, but it's such a believable transformation. Starts off as literally a soldier sent in, a mercenary in order to trick the Navi people into giving up their resources, 
along the way discovers the value of the forest and of the, the uh, resources and the people and the communities, and then realizes actually that his side, the humans are the negative ones, they're the villains in the story, and then has to, to stop them from doing what they're doing. So I do love that arc. It's such a, it's such a beautiful kind of uh, transformation of character who has his uh, mind awakened uh, to the power of community, to the power of nature, all of that kind of stuff. So it's just a timeless tale. Um, and I still think it's a valuable one, like, like we were saying before. Um, I don't know, were there, what are the other memes that you were hearing besides the fact, I just know that they were like, oh, these blue people, it's so cheesy, they don't look very good. But it, was there any other um, memes that you thought were noteworthy? Well, of course, you know, the classic Pocahontas memes, you know, they would, you know, the, the classic, oh, you know, these men are dangerous. And of course, you know, the chief's daughter falls in love with the guy 10 minutes later, you know, like those kind of tropes. But also um, there was a period in time where there were obsessive people that, you know, got obsessed with the concept of Pandora. And I was reading articles even back in the day of people getting, going through mental distress because of the fact that this reality doesn't exist, which um, is quite fascinating. It's one of the few times I heard about a fictional world presented on screen impacting a large number of people. Um, you know, for a movie that made over $2 billion at the theater, understandably, there's, you know, many, many people that saw it. But the fact that there was a, you know, a large component of people that were, you know, so connected to the, the themes and connected to the visuals that it actually made them sad when the movie's over. Yeah, that's a fascinating concept. I haven't really thought of any movie in recent memory that was that impactful that people got upset that it's not real interesting well that kind of ties into okay i'm going to go on a bit of a, a, a bit of a spiel here i have a psychedelic theory about all of this stuff so <laughs> bear with me everybody uh here we go so here so okay, let's start with so frank Hugh herbert right uh everyone knows who he is he wrote the books for dune well he also wrote this uh series called destination void uh, which were based on the science fiction novels uh, Jesus Incident and the Lazarus book. So in that book, he talks about an alien planet called Pandora as a global network of sentient kelp, and the minds of the deceased are able to continue to exist inside this sort of network. Right? Um, and the life forms on that planet are linked to uh, uh, this larger entity called Avatar. Right? So, okay. A lot of similarities there with what ended up happening here. Was it conscious or unconscious on James Cameron's part? We'll never know because he will, he will never admit it if it was. If the roots of the idea of the mythology of this movie came from Frank Herbert, the thing is that uh, Frank Herbert is such a fan of magic mushrooms, a.k.a. psilocybin, he would grow them and take them when he was writing. And so um, you could imagine that and this is back in the 60s, right? So Frank Herbert was way ahead of his time. But if you go back to even so, so, so then the, the most uh, successful movie of all time, which was uh, for 10 years or so, was Avatar. And before that, the most successful movie of all time was Star Wars. Okay. Star Wars, the earlier drafts uh, were all about smuggling spice. And that spice was a part of the thing that created the force, this cosmic consciousness that pervaded all things. That spice was a direct ripoff of Frank Herbert's Dune, and it's inspired by a psilocybin mushroom trip. So pop culture today, here's my theory, pop culture today, including the force and Avatar, two of the most successful franchises ever, based on Magic Mushroom Trip. Yes. 
Oh, I, I fully agree. I'll be actually, to be honest, I fully agree because when I first heard about that connection between you know, Frank Herbert and Avatar, it suddenly reminded me of, oh yeah, um, Harlan Ellison suing James Cameron over Terminator. Remember um, when you look at newer versions of Terminator, it'll say like there's a little credit for the writer Harlan Ellison because of his work for, you know, um, was it, uh, I have no mouth, but I must scream. You know, he essentially wrote something very similar about this evil computer network that takes over the planet and, you know, the man versus AI. And essentially he sued Cameron. So I think the only difference is, well, Frank Herbert was dead. <laughs> That's the only difference. Because I really think there are so many connections that he could have had a good case. I mean, right. I think the mushroom connection, and remember, um, a lot of people talk about magic mushrooms being of alien you know, origin, you know, essentially, you know, fungus is so outside of you know the tree of life and so weird that maybe it you know landed here on an asteroid or something so there's a lot of that you know intergalactic connection to psychedelics that these 60s writers are doing and just look at james cameron's age he would have been at the perfect age for absorbing dune and absorbing all the good stuff from back in the 60s and 70s well, i have no doubt that there's a deep influence from classic 60s psychedelic culture in this movie well, it is one of my favorite aspects of the movie, the mythology, that's, that's, uh, that the idea that, that all of Pandora's forest is alive through all of these trillions of uh, neurons that are connecting uh, and synapses that are connecting. Of course, you know, there's biologists on Earth who say the same thing about the Amazon forest and mushrooms as well that have this interconnected uh, force underneath and it's all one organism. A forest might be an entirely singular organism. So I, I really love that idea. I think it's a really important myth for us to create today, which is one that we have to save the earth at all costs. I think that's like a really valuable myth to put out there in the world. Um, and so um, the plot for me in this story is 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 perfectly dramatized to um, sort of express those ideas in a compelling emotional way. Um, and I've ne I was never bored throughout any part of the story. Um, probably my favorite favorite part is when he trapped uh with natiri and he has to learn the ways of the forest and all that kind of stuff uh it's super fun but um i, I think it's a great plot it's a it's 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 got a really long act three it's got a, I, i'd say the act three is like a 40 minute act never lose sight of connection between the characters and the showdowns one-on-one -on -one battles i love that they get into hand-to-hand -hand combat with the sort of the the evil general and all that kind of stuff um so super clever I mean, Cameron gave us a mech suit with a knife. That that alone is like the price of admission. I mean, just in general, it is mech suit with like a you know eight foot long looking knife, you know, Bowie knife or whatever. It was just okay. This is cool. There were enough of those cool Cameron moments interspersed out the film that there was no moment where I'm like, eh, it's a little on the long side. But there's always something to keep me going, and just the visuals. I mean, like Cameron knows how to shoot action and action with great visual effects intermixed where, I mean, the photorealism, I didn't really feel like I was pulled out of it. You know, the physics of the objects and the people that were fully digital had weight to them. Um, it's one of those issues I have with some more modern you know, CGI films. When I think of something like Hobbit, for example, where, you know, objects don't really move within the realm of physics that you know of. You know, like sometimes creatures are a little lighter on their feet. This one, all creature effects had you know, weight. When they hit the ground, you felt like they were actually huge. You know, when you see the mech stomp on the ground, there was impact. So it was one thing I really enjoyed was just like, hey, this feels like a fully integrated world. And he's 
keeping it moving. I mean, when every 10 minutes, there's one of those, you know, high five kind of moments that kind of build in either through dialogue or character interaction or action every 10 minutes. It's, he doesn't let us sleep. And that's one thing I love about Cameron. He keeps it going, keeps it tight. He just keeps pushing forward. Classic yeah, storytelling. Absolutely. And, and what, what by what, you know, one more point is that, you know, he'll set up something like home tree being so important. And so uh, it, it's even shaped like a DNA. So it's literally like DNA foundation of this community. And then he destroys it. He goes there. He goes all the way. He makes you, he builds it up, makes you love it. And then literally tears it down. And it's devastating. Like it, it's, it's, he really goes there. And I, I remember seeing it the first time being like, oh my God, I can't believe it's actually gone. That was like the most important thing. So really good at manipulating our emotions. No question. Of course, her two can manipulate our emotions are the characters. Here's a, a shot here. that you watch on the YouTube. Uh, um, of our character coming out of cryo-freeze. Uh, we, we've sort of talked a little bit about the same Worthington character a little bit. Do you have anything else to add with him? He's sort of your sort of stock character, I guess. Uh, the fact that he doesn't have legs at the beginning and then is able to run is just such a great contrast um, between his real self or his human self and his avatar self. Um, that really was uh, effective. Anything else about the character you, you thought we should mention? I just love the visuals of the character introduction. And one thing I love about Cameron, when he sets up, you know, a visual motif, you know, we start off, you know, he's sleeping and he wakes up and he's has that blue light shining on his face. And I'm assuming like a little bit of liquid that was popping around. I assumed it was like, you know, just some moisture or whatever, but I thought of it as tears when I first saw it. Mm. It just feels like you feel a connection to the guy and you don't really know who he is. And also I like the fact that they slowly introduce the wheelchair because everything starts off in zero gravity. He's just floating around freely. But then when he finally locks down into reality, you know, with actual real gravity, you realize, oh, he is grounded of sorts, you know, since he has to use a wheelchair to be mobile. So I, I really did like that. It's like you don't feel sorry for him. You just know, hey, he's going through a hard time in life, dealing with the death of his brother. It's kind of strange because it's six years later. That's one thing about cryosleep that I always find fascinating is the fact that he had this terrible moment and immediately goes into cryosleep. So he really didn't have any time to grieve. And the fact that right. you don't dream while you're in cryosleep, it's like he didn't really have a, t a chance to deal with the loss of his brother psychologically, and especially a loss of a twin, which I have no doubt is just something, a, a fundamental level that's different. You know, it's literally a part of you that is now dead. So I thought that was interesting how the sense of loss is kind of intermingled throughout the movie because he's gaining new family and new community, the Navi, to make up for that loss. So, I, yeah, I think it's a great character introduction. Absolutely. And then, of course, my other favorite, of course, is uh, Natiri, uh, our, our entry into the, the Navi world. Um, I remember at the time being like, Zoe Saldana is incredible. And to this day, even she always wears heavy CGI or heavy makeup, Guardians of the Galaxy. She's, a, you know, she's an alien, I believe, in Star Trek, right? She uh, plays um, Nahora. And then she's here, Natiri. But uh, I don't there's a new movie out on netflix called uh from scratch it's sort of this to say oh. romance but you actually get to see her act without any makeup and special effects she's so great i love Zoe Saldana. and uh she just comes i just remember her coming through here she did her just her life force just comes through this uh this character um even though she's in this new um unrecognizable uh 
uh, outfit, but um, she's she's such a great actress. But and the character is just really fun because she's sort of our entry into the whole Navi way of life. And I like her attitude. You know, I love the fact that essentially Jake kind of plays like the ugly American character. You know, he's a you know a brute. He doesn't really understand the rules of the culture. He's just kind of you know, fumbling his way through, and she throws stuff at him all the way through. You know, I love her attitude. The fact that she's just like, "What are you? Some kind of idiot? Are you a child?" And I just enjoy their back and forth. I mean, it's classic romantic tropes that we've seen before, but I don't know. Just something about her performance just felt so natural. And it felt like she's really connecting with it. And it's really interesting when you see side-by-side -side comparisons of you know, the motion capture performance versus the completed visual effects. Because even though she has little green dots painted on her face and the camera rig, it still sells. So the visual effects artist had so much to work off of with her performances. You know, excellent template to get started. Um, overall, I mean, she's my favorite character. I mean, I'm actually looking forward to seeing more of her in the sequel. It's just it was a great setup. Um, that's the thing. This movie was a setup for sequels. We understand that you know, he was thinking of three to four to five sequels from the very start. So we kind of needed a slower moving movie where we just got to introduce everybody, introduce the rules of the world, introduce culture, you know, the new characters. And that way, hey, we have something we're invested in. But yeah, people are going to watch parts three through five or whatever number they're going to make. Just because, hey, we want to see how this, these people develop and grow after traumatic events of this movie and of course part two is apparently more about the family that he uh she and jake solely have and it'll be interesting to see all that um the other one other little interesting trivia tidbit of the sigourney weaver character uh, weaver character is that her name is grace augustine apparently in all of james cameron's movies he always references his catholic upbringing and uh, every character is named after some kind of a saint so augustine uh, was the one who uh, brought Christianity to pagan England. So you can see how maybe Sigourney Weaver, with the best intentions, tries to bring her belief system to the Navi, but has to change uh, by the end and really not only become adopted, but essentially uploaded into their elder uh, and um, their, their tree, right? The tree of souls. So she sort of... Um, becomes a part of their database. Uh, so she really uh, also makes a transition over which I guess brings us to the, the tech. There's so there's some really cool uh, tech technological items here, uh, in terms not in terms of how James Cameron made the movie, um, but uh, I'll, we could talk about that as well. But more about the tech within the movie. Um, what are, what are two really interesting tidbits that I didn't realize uh, the first time watching is that um, all animals on Pandora have six limbs except the Navi or, and the humans the ones who are on uh, uh, two legs and, and two hands, uh, two arms. It's kind of interesting because if you see all the monsters, they've all got six legs. I noticed that this time um, and did a little digging. And the other interesting thing is that um, the, apparently the ab avatars uh, have eyebrows and five digits if you're a human. So Jake yes. Sully, Sigourney Weider's character, whereas the actual Navi have only four digits and no eyebrows. So they aren't, they, it's sort of like a, they're a fusion uh, between human and Navi when they are in avatar form, when they actually started off as a human. And the avatars also have broader in uh, the chest and arms and are more muscular, whereas the uh, true Navi are more slender and lean. I thought it was, uh, these are little interesting bits that you start to pick up on the more you watch it. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do like the fact that, you know, Sigourney Weaver's avatar stands out as more humanoid and, you know, 
think that anything, especially her nose. You know, she doesn't have the cat-like nose like the other ones. So I always assumed that maybe that was like an early version of the Avatar program or something. Like maybe, you know, she's like an older Avatar. Because that's the distinct difference. Because you look at the face, it's Sigourney Weaver just blue. Everyone else, you know, they still have that, you know, more cat-like nose. That's just one thing I noticed. And I know that must have been a choice. Maybe it was mentioned somewhat in the earlier cut or earlier, you know, screenplay, but that's the one unique difference. And also, um, the whole five finger versus four fingers. Once again, I love the fact that um, when you see um, Natiri, you know, she has that white palm print on her chest, and it's a five finger palm print. So that's why we know that it was Jake who put like you know the battle paint on. It was just those mm. subtle little things, where, you know, just little reminders. But one thing I did think was funny about the technology. Now, they have the Avatar program. You could essentially have a remote, you know, mind transference device anywhere on the planet, which I thought was kind of funny because they talked about, oh, you know, we can't use our you know, technological readouts while we're flying through these flying mountains. But I could control an Avatar that's in those mm. flying mountains just fine. Uh, they kind of have like magical wireless, which I thought was kind of fun. Cameron, mm. you know, he's very strict when it comes to explaining technology. You know, he kind of says... Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't say, oh, there's special satellites surrounding the whole planet to ensure that the avatars right. keep going or something. Like, I mean, he, he's very technical. I, mean, I remember when I read comments he made about you know, the Aquaman movie. He said, well, obviously, you know, I wouldn't have done it that way because I would have followed physics and et cetera. You know, had a very you know, concrete mm -hmm. reasoning you know, behind it. So mm -hmm. I did think that was a funny omission of sorts. Um, also, technology-wise, I distance from Pandora to Earth. You know, it's like a six-year cryosleep. You know, like, just the concept of cryosleep, I always enjoy it. You know, and every, and every time there's a camera, something cool happens when someone wakes up from cryosleep. So it still fit into all my favorite things from the original Alien movies. And also, it's a reminder of, remember, Cameron at one point was supposed to do um, Starship Troopers, or at least he was trying to propose to make a Starship Troopers movie before Aliens. So it is fun he finally got his full-body mech suits. You know, it's kind of like, Avatar was almost like a wish list of a lot of the technology he wanted to play with years ago. This is a movie that let him do it. So I have the mech suits, I have biomechanical creatures, I have brain transference via organic you know, means. It's a toy box of sorts. I think that's why I enjoy it so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the funniest part is that my favorite part of the, you know, quote unquote technology of this movie is from... Pandora planet itself, actually not sort of an organic technology. So I just love the idea that you can upload and download data and memories from these sacred sites. You can like plug in your tail into a willow leaf, essentially, bright and shining, and it will. Uh, you can hear the ancestors. You can hear the the voices from the the past. And I I guarantee you, if we don't hear Sigourney Weaver's voice in this next Avatar, I I don't know how to I don't know how to write movies because that's got to be happening where we're gonna have Sigourney come back as a as a Force ghost. We know that's that's got to be the case. But, <laughs> I think it's just such a cool idea that you can, uh, through this organic matter that captures the spirit of the people and of the planet, uh, is sort of uploading and downloading memories. I think that's just super cool. I also love how uh, those little um, sort of dandelion uh, seeds kind of hop all over. And the reason that Natiri doesn't kill uh, Jake Sully at the beginning is because one of those lands on her spearhead. So the idea that there is in a, a biological intelligence 
permeates this planet and it is able to sense soul able to sense jake sully's spirit is good and is not corrupted i just think it's so beautiful like what a great fairy tale and i would you know i i just think that that's such a cool message and it's so beautiful and sort of mystical and spiritual and it it, it, it yeah maybe it's cheesy maybe call me a cheese ball i don't care it's 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 the way it is uh but um then the fact that uh when she goes up to jake sully they all like totally surround him and cover him uh, as though he's this uh, one who has a role to play in uh, them fighting against this human invader. It's super cool. Oh, I, I very much see the planet itself as almost like an artificial intelligence of sorts. I mean, the fact that it's, you know, it's organic, it's able to communicate, and, you know, there's certain forms of self-defense. You know, essentially, it's like a body. You know, um, the animals on the planet were, antibodies trying to take down a virus of sorts you know the humans mm -hmm. so i thought that was really fascinating to have the planet itself react and also somewhat be proactive you know where it's like well how intelligent is the planet well if you have thousands of generations of you know these intelligent beings saving their memories into the planet it's kind of like this you know a collective of sorts you know a collective intelligence which i find even more fascinating start thinking of the possibilities of this planet I do find it funny, though, as far as technology, the mind transference. How did the Navi actually know that it could possibly work? You know, moving Sigourney mm. Weaver into her avatar body. Is, <laughs> right. is, if this is something they could do regularly, why didn't they do that to save other characters? You know, like, the, you know, we saw mm. that you know, a person died of old age and they bury him and drop in seeds from the tree. But then I'm like, well, how did you know it's possible this human can permanently go over like what happens to jake sully's body after the mind transference does he just shrivel up mm. is he dead and also it brings up the you know that whole teleporter question or cloning question you know is it really you, you know or is it mm. you if you think you're you you know that question you know, transferring memories that's one thing transferring a brain and physical aspects something else so i always say eh, it's kind of like maybe that's a big philosophical question you transfer your mind or memories. Is that still you? Well, those are uh, a big conundrums. We, uh, I guess it actually ties right into the point or the message or the theme that he's talking about here. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know uh, if anyone here, Christy um, uh, or, uh, or Dave or Candice or anyone um, is, wasn't this the first time that Avatar was used talk about a person who enters a headset essentially and enters into metaverse and in, in the form that we are right now uh, the avatar didn't that terminology take off after this movie or was it there before anyone know the answer it was there before but off the top of my head, i can't remember the early books but yeah there was you know even like early 90s i definitely remember like the term avatar floating around you know when they finally tried mm. to coin a term but i think the popularity of the term you know, exploded because of the movie so it was like late 90s, I think, when they started saying, oh, you know, trying to, you know, connect, you know, Eastern mysticism and stuff like that with, you know, the early metaverse concepts. Um, and I, I bet it could have been Neil Strauss, most likely. Hmm. Neil Stevenson, you mean? Uh, uh, what a, uh, um, yeah, it's interesting, because I guess the avatar means a manifestation of a deity or a soul, right? So it's the idea that... Uh, our soul can be in our meat space body 
uh, we could enter into a new manifestation in the metaverse and be in this digital form. It's just a different variation on uh, same soul, essentially. Um, and then I think it's interesting also that the idea, um, apparently he made the Avi blue because uh, that's how Hindu gods are depicted oftentimes. Mm. It, it, uh, Vishnu and uh, all of those uh, sort of being these blue deities, that meant that they were divine. And so I think that that was part of his reasoning. And so there's a lot of sort of uh, spiritual themes here. Some of the ones that I wasn't as aware of were all the connections with Hebrewism. So apparently Navi um, in Hebrew means uh, a visionary or a prophet who can uh, communicate with God. Uh, so I wasn't aware of that connection. Ewa is, who is the deity of the Navi people, is, a, is sort of a mixed up pronunciation of Yahweh, which is the God of the Hebrews. Yes. Um, and then the last one was um, that if you remember, the spiritual leader in the Navi tribe is named Moad, but he's called a Sahik. Uh, and so Sadiq in Hebrew means an individual of outstanding virtue and piety, um, and it applies to a knowledgeable interpreter of the biblical laws and scriptures. So there was a lot of sort of, yeah, not only Hindu connections, but also Hebrew connections. In, and we talked about Augustine, so there was also Christian uh, connections. So he was connecting a lot of different um, spiritual uh, beliefs and practices in there. I think that's what I enjoyed about his it's, he's a writer that connects to multiple experiences, personal life experience, and also just what fascinates him at the moment. I mean, if the script was written 15 years earlier, it would have been completely different. It's just, that's how Cameron works. So there's always something he's fascinated with. He kind of has like a one-track mind when it comes to, you know, technology and what he's learning at the moment. So I think overall, the point of, you know, spirituality and connecting to the planet is a very, very important one for him. I mean, when you see the work he's done with, you know, preserving the oceans, you know, when he started to build his own submarines to do underwater videography, um, that also connected him to just, hey, just look at the pollution, you know, that we're seeing while filming. So I believe that that's all interconnected. You know, just essentially, we are one with this planet and just acknowledging the fact that, hey, you know what? we're all going to be dust. We're going to be part of this planet eventually. You know, that's the thing. It's like the circle of life. So the fact that he brings this extra level of interconnectivity to this world is what I thoroughly enjoy. It just tells you, hey, we're not just saving the planet just because it's something cool to do. It's because it's something we should do because we're part of the planet. Like destroying our own home is counterproductive. And you know, it just seems like it's, you know, antithetical to, you know, human experience. Like why wouldn't we want to protect it for, further generations. Why not protect it so our stories can continue? Um, that's the thing I loved about the movie is the fact that stories have like it wasn't just a bunch of trees. It was, hey, this planet represents everything that we've put into it. I mean, same thing with our Earth. You know, we put all this effort into this planet, but now we're destroying it faster than Never. Another issue I noticed, um, you know, of course, we had to bring up, you know, Native American issue um, with the movie because there is, you know, yes, there's a real life you know, influences, you know, historical influences and tragedies that this movie definitely tapped into. But the scariest part is we still see this happening today with indigenous populations throughout the rainforest. I mean, we still see loggers, you know, having actual battles with, you know, people with bows and arrows within the Amazon rainforest. I mean, there's still encroachment upon nature from humanity. And 
this movie, I mean, we could look at the news. If you just Googled 10 days, we'll find some horrific events just within recent memory that have occurred with Native peoples. So I know some people like to put down the film, say, no, it's cheesy, it's Pocahontas, but I hope that some people could recognize the fact that these issues are still happening today, and it's very much a real issue. Yeah, perfectly said, and I think that that is the big point of the movie. And I think that you're you're right that it's it's tr it's it's dear to the heart of James Cameron, who is is the human being who has gone deepest into the Mariana Trench personally. He has like he really cares about this stuff. Uh, and then he apparently visited tribes in in Brazil uh, to and uh, and trek through the Amazon jungle just to get a sense of what Pandora Forest would be like and, and all of that. So if if you're going to create a piece of pop culture. Uh, is a good message to to imbue in it i think so uh absolutely um yeah it's not just uh, mindless pop culture it's something a little bit more than it. so right well uh we've got uh time here for wow 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 score uh that means that uh even you candace and even you dave the turner you gotta try to give us your wow score uh 10 wows being this is the greatest movie ever zero wows is i just wasted two and a half hours of my life and um here we go are you okay futurosity having a technical difficulty minor technical difficult one moment okay well, actually, I will uh, give my wow score at the meantime. And if Dave the Turner, if you remember your wow score, Candace, please hop in. Uh, okay, so wow score for me. Um, after all this time and all the people who are hating on the giant blue cheesy love story in this Pandora uh, world where uh, you know this human falls in love with a native and all of the archetypes and maybe might some people might say cliches that that comes with i just put that aside because i'm swept up in the visual storytelling of james cameron i'm swept up in the emotional connection to the characters um i'm excited to see part two and he's apparently shot part three already and parts of part four and he just got the script for part five the studio and their entire response was what the fuck so apparently part five is completely bonkers if he ever gets to make it um, but this movie, as far as pop culture goes, it's almost as good as it gets. So I'm give I'm going high today. I'm high. I'm giving it a nine. All the way up there. <laughs> well, how about I, you? This is kind of funny, but I I agree. I think oh. that um, you know, of course, pop culture. I do poo pooed on the movie. They claimed, oh, but what's the name of a character? Can you remember any names of the character? I'm like, oh, Jake Sully. That's one someone I always remember. But overall, I always felt like, you know what? People are being unfair. This movie is a classic Hollywood film. James Cameron knows the rules of storytelling. He knows the rules of classic, big-budget action feature movies. And he can still have enough heart in it to connect with the audience. And I, I just still believe there's very few filmmakers that have this special skill set. Some filmmakers will focus solely on the visuals. Others will focus solely on the people. He just tries to marry it all together and just said, hey, let's give you an archetypal story that touches your heart. And I'll be honest, I, mean, I, I got missed you out a couple of times. I mean, performances really captured my heart. So I, I would give this a nine um, just because of the impact to me as a viewer, 
Um, the fact that rewatching this after a decade makes me want to see like eight more of these movies. I mean, very few films do that. A lot of times, if you, hey, it was a pop culture moment, you kind of forget and you move on. But now I think about it, this movie does stick. And I think that people need to give it a second chance because, you know, hey, memes are one thing, but solid, good, old fashioned storytelling with amazing visuals is just something that's hard to come by right now. And I kind of miss movies like this. When I look at blockbusters now, they feel somewhat soulless. And at least we know that, hey, Cameron's coming back. He's coming back to save the day, hopefully, Avatar sequels that will blow our minds away. Now, I will admit, watching it at home without the 3D experience, yes, it is a slightly lesser experience than what I remember. But overall, I still think it's a fabulous movie. You know, even the greatest movies can have a cheesy moment or two. I forgive any little moments that might be a little cringy now, 10 years later. Overall, I just think it's beautifully shot, beautifully edited, beautifully directed. And I love the characters, so I'll give it a solid nine. Okay, well, it looks like Candace has her opinion as well. Maybe Candace is going to be the hater. She'll be like, I hate this movie. How dare you give it a, a <laughs> nine out of nine point nine? What do you think, Candace? Hi, everyone. Uh, I think that Avatar is a classic, uh, but he needs to be updated definitively. Like I remember the story. I remember I was I was a young teenager when I saw this movie, and I appreciate um, directors who are taking risks, especially with new technologies. I remember that it was my first experience with 3D glasses in a theater, mm -hmm. and I loved it. I loved the mm -hmm. depth. I loved the three dimension aspect of the movie. I loved that I felt immersed a bit. It was my first immersive experience, and I was a young teenager. And it's also one of the first movies who opened the idea of living in the metaverse, of in a connected world where we can have social interactions, where we can meet people from all over the world and ever from other planets. So I do appreciate that. Uh, the theme of colonization, I think, is completely something that we should continue to talk about because as you said it's still very accurate the love story is a bit cheesy but as you said it's a hollywood movie so it's a good classic that needs to be updated but for the risk i'm going to give it good 8.5 yeah yeah pretty good pretty good great all right uh dave the turner do you want to rave your uh pity here we got to use the raise hand option so we can get your Oh, shoot, I just deleted you. All right, you did it right there. <laughs> we'll try one more time. There we go. Okay. All right, Dave, what do you think? You well, the hater um, of the crowd? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, I, I saw it when it first came out um, in 3D, and uh, it was so phenomenal. It was so phenomenal. I, I, I love 3D to begin with, and uh, it was a mixture of, a world that was unbelievable because of the creatures and um, uh, the flora and fauna. But at the same time, it was done so well that it was very believable. It was believable and unbelievable at the same time. And very early on in the film, I, I suspended disbelief completely. I totally bought into it. There was nothing about it that I, I uh, consciously um, questioned. And I could, I could accept the transfer of the mind and everything. It was fine. It was great. Uh, I, I've always been a fan of fantasy. I, I loved it that uh, Jake was, uh, uh, he was wounded, he was disabled, and um, and it definitely was going to affect his life. And then he was given an opportunity for a new life 
where his disability was no longer a disability. That, that I thought was great. I really bought into that, loved it. And um, one of the things that I don't hear people talk about too much is, is the, um, uh, uh, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? It was so sexy. It was really sexy. I had fantasies about them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, and, uh, I'm, I'm expecting the next one will be the same. And, and, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, with the way of water, I've, I've got tickets for next week. So, uh, yep. come back and talk to me again, but I will give it a 10, except that of course, nothing is a 10. So it has to be a nine and uh, it's up there in the, in, in my top five. Um, as a matter of fact, along with true lies. So interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, uh, interesting. Yeah. So that's really, uh, it's really great. So, you know, it's so interesting that, um, because it, it just seems like there was such a backlash in the last few years and I, yet everyone seems to be coming out of the woodwork saying they loved it and now they're ready for the new one again. So we'll see if it does well at the box office. Cause it, apparently it needs to be in the top five grossing movies of all time to break even or something like it's like this really, really expensive movie. To your point, uh, uh, Dave the Turner, about the sexiness, I watched it this time on Disney Plus, and when Natira and Dave uh, and uh, Sully uh, sort of uh, consummate underneath the uh, Tree of Souls, cut the part where their their tails entangle, and I re I distinctly remember in the original the tails entangled, and that was kind of like their lovemaking, and that was cut out. Disney <laughs> censored it. So I was I was shocked to see that. Do you remember that futurosity? It's really weird because I think it's like the Mandela situation. Because yeah. I remember yeah. seeing the theatrical version with my little nephews and just looking at them like, oh, this is a very awkward moment. Now everyone tells me, oh, it wasn't in the theatrical version. It was in the re-release in the Blu-ray. So I'm not sure if I'm having false memories or if somehow, you know, reality reset and we don't know. Allegedly, yeah, the hair intertwining sequence was not on the 2009 big screen release. Uh, I, I looked it up, and that's what everyone claims, but I swear I saw it, and I looked at my nephews, and I thought, how am I going to explain this when I get home? But oh, who knows? No. Maybe, you know, there's a crack in reality. I'm not sure just yet. Uh, <laughs> the crack in reality is Disney's censorship is what it is. What do you think, Dave? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, the, the word I was trying to find earlier was erotic. Huh. I think the whole movie, the whole film basically was was erotic to me. I, I just thought it was wonderful. And it was uh, uh, this native uh, civilization that was just living with nature. And uh, um, it, it was beautiful. And I found it very the whole thing was very erotic, especially the the uh, relationship. Do you remember their tails entwining, or was it just would entwine his tail with his pets? Uh, maybe Candace, uh, if you, you could use the raise hand option, we could get your audio. Um, uh, do you remember that, Dave? Or, or are we just well, you completely? Know, I, I kind of remember it, but it, maybe I'm um, remembering something that didn't happen. But I kind of I do remember that. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, Candace, uh, maybe you have a better memory than us, or maybe this is uh, the Mandela effect. What do you think? I, I remember. Can you hear me? Yeah. I was just calling you. Yeah, yeah, you can hear me. Uh, 
so when I saw it, it was in France. So it was probably um, not with French subtitles. It was in French, you know, and mm. I'm pretty sure I remember that. I'm pretty sure I remember mm. this scene. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that Disney decide to censor it. They're pretty good at doing this kind of move. Right? They have a different mandate <laughs> than Fox because the original movie came uh -huh. out, it was 20th Century Fox, and then Disney bought 20th Century Fox, so now Avatar is owned by Disney, and Disney's much mm -hmm. more a general audience, parental guidance audience, as opposed to restricted audience. But if you're saying that you read online that it wasn't even in the 2009 edition, then I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's a mystery for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> it, it gets hard with all these cuts and re-releases, or you know, some of your favorite movies. I have like four different versions because you realize, oh, I saw it in a hotel, or I saw it on a flight, or I saw it at home. I just find that fascinating. There's a many movies I enjoyed that there's like, you know, hey, there's eight minutes of you extra if you watch this version. And you may not even know. They just don't mention it. Just, hey, get what you get. But I, one other thing about just like the eroticism and the sexuality of the Navi, I did, they designed them just right. You know, they want to have a certain level of attractiveness for the male and the female Navi. Where it's not something bizarre, you know, nothing that's off-putting. It's human enough, you know what I mean? That's definitely, I read some, you know, interviews with Cameron where they definitely kind of, you know, showed a couple pictures saying, hey, well, what do you guys think? You know, so I have no doubt they might have bounced back and forth, try to find a design that's, you know, visually pleasing. But I did like the contrast between actually seeing Tiri, you know, full size at 10 feet, um, cuddling, you know, Jake's body, you know, and we all thought that he know died because he was in the atmosphere for too long and you kind of realize like the power dynamic um you know involved in the theory and you know obviously so you can definitely see how a lot of people see you know a certain level of attraction you know these 10 foot tall super people of sorts with carbon fiber you know musculature and bones so i definitely see that power dynamic you know, many fans of them enjoyable for folks um okay so i can now with the age-old mystery to an end, I have done a quick Google search here. And I have discovered that uh, an article that is says, you have not misremembered the moment of the joining of the ponytail. A few months after the original movie hit cinemas, a special extended edition was released, which includes the scene you're thinking about, uh, but in the re-release, they're only using the theatrical release, not the extended release. So there you go. It does exist. Wow. This extended release of the movie, but not the theatrical release that's now being re-released. There you go. Aww. We all remembered <laughs> properly. I was hoping for a crack in reality, but I mean, I guess yeah, it's better yeah, yeah. that we don't have a crack in reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, cool. Well, anyway, um, I, I've had a, a great time talking about this. I mean, how often do I give a 9.52 movie? Someday someone's going to watch this and be like, that guy, Johnny Android, gave this a 9.52. I'm like, what an idiot. But I don't care. I'm just wearing my heart on my sleeve. And if you like <laughs> it, I'm going to tell you I like it. And that's the way it is. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Um, any, uh, I guess if anyone wanted to reach out to you about the Mandela effect or anything else, Futurosity, how can they do so? Oh, please reach out to me on Instagram. I'm available at Futurosity VR. I love to chat all about the metaverse, AI, art, and more. So say hi anytime, please. Awesome. 
of course, Dave the Taylor, uh, we have uh, we did a serious episode recently. And of course, you're a fan of 3D. You do digital 3D in the metaverse. This was the movie that really launched digital 3D. So we're so happy to have you here uh, for you to give us your thoughts. So thank you, everybody, for teleporting into this worldcast of Simulation Nation. Whether you're with us in reality, listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or watching in very spectacular YouTube. Remember to subscribe to our Instagram at Simulation Nation at Simulation VR and our Discord server. Join us next week for our interview with a sci-fi author named Dave Norman, who is often in Altspace. He's a member of the community here, and he has a book series which, of which we are going to cover the first book called Alien Eon. Then, plug, my friend.